0: Eight thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. First of all, special thank you to everybody who came out for our incredible Age Expo at Pottawatomie yesterday. A lot of people, and I appreciate all our our sponsors. I had an opportunity to chat with many of them, including my dear friend Rose Gray from Fox World Travel we were talking about this uh, trip we've got this river cruise we've got coming up in October and she was saying where do you want to go in 20 people were asking where do you want <clears throat> where do you think Jeff wants to go in 2019 and Rose correctly said wherever his wife wants to go so we'll figure that out and of course my dear friend Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management and so many of other sponsors and everybody who came out had just a lot of fun, and I hope we're able to do that again. It's always an opportunity, great opportunity when I get a chance to get out and meet you. All right, um, we start off today's show with three big things. But before that, there's a I'm, I'm off tomorrow and Friday. Just got a planned vacation coming up, and um, there's just we're going to cover a lot of ground today because I've got all these things that I just don't want to delay until the um, until next week. Keith Olbermann, who was the crazy lefty that was on MSNBC for a while till he flamed out, and he was on ESPN a couple times till he flamed out. But he used to do this feature called The Worst Person in the World. So with apologies to Keith um, Olbermann, I do want to start off today's show with my nomination for The Worst Person in the World. And it is one of the reasons why so many people hate the mainstream media and particularly news reporters. Now, there is no question. I understand there's a lot of people who love President Trump, and there's a lot of people who hate President Trump. I get all that. And there's also no question in my mind that any any vestige of, I don't know, journalistic integrity or lack of bias has gone out the window in the way the Trump administration gets covered. I think it is perfectly fair to criticize the president when he deserves to be criticized. But at the same time, There is an obsession with the things he does. There is a mocking. There is a tone that is now pervasive in the mainstream media that I have never, ever seen before. Didn't see it. I understand that you've got a left-leaning media, but I, I didn't see it. Um, Even in the coverage of President Bush, there was at least a pretense of trying to be objective. All right. So now here's the background on this. And by the way, so I don't bury the lead. The worst person in the world today is a CNN political reporter named Daniela Diaz. All right. Now, on Monday, there was a meeting between Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and President Trump at the White House. There is no secret that there's not a lot of love lost between the two of them. President Trump has been upset with Mitch McConnell because he has not been able to get legislation through the Senate, um, despite the fact that when you've got 52 senators, it is like kind of herding cats. And President Trump has not helped Mitch McConnell by some of the things he's said about some of the other senators and anything. But anyhow, Trump is frustrated with McConnell. They have and McConnell bizarrely, bizarrely, this this loose cannon Steve Bannon, we're going to talk a little bit about that, who is the guy that was with Breitbart, who was a Trump advisor, who was then booted out and is now touring the country trying to make a point of, I think, trying to get Republicans to nominate candidates who cannot win in the general election. I mean, Steve Bannon is about it's the, the best, in my opinion, the best thing the Democrats have going for him right now is, is Steve bannon and steve bannon is getting ready to play in wisconsin politics and hopefully that's not going to work out very well for him but anyhow steve bannon has been as one of his litmus tests is you, you have to get rid of mitch mcconnell all right now where that gets republicans over the next year i don't know um probably into a position of being in the minority but that's another story that we'll talk about another day so anyhow trump and mcconnell have a meeting now here is a detail that you might not know about Mitch McConnell, who is a long-serving senator from Kentucky. When Mitch McConnell was a child, he had polio. Now, now polio is something that if you are, I don't know, under the age of 40, under the age of 50, you, you just it, it, it's just something that you never had to deal with. Why? Because we, we developed a vaccine that has essentially eliminated polio but there are a number of people if you uh, again we were a child in you know the 30s or the 40s maybe even maybe even into the 50s you know you, you know polio was something that you could contract now again we have this we have eradicated this but polio is incredibly devastating um frank president roosevelt had polio he lost the use of of his legs um and people people who have who contract polio a, as children um Face physical type of issues. Mitch McConnell had polio as a child. And as a result, even as an adult, the polio he had as a child affects his ability to walk. He is able to walk without a cane. He's able to walk without a walker. He is able to walk. But his polio, the childhood polio affects his ability, for example, to go up and down stairs. Um oftentimes if you watch him if he's going upstairs for example he, he has to go up one stair at a time you know what I mean it's like put the right leg up and then put the left leg up a lot of times he needs to use the handrail it's just a result of childhood polio Um so after the press conference that they have at the White House with President Trump and Senator McConnell uh, they turn and they've got to walk up these stairs And President Trump, who knows that Mitch McConnell, you know, suffers from polio, um, helps him. I mean, he's he's like assisting him um, up the stairs. I mean, uh, again, it's one of those things where if you're, I don't know. Um, if you are with someone who has some sort of disability or, or whatever, you know, it's not uncommon. So there there is this video of President Trump. Again, Mitch McConnell has one hand kind of on the railing and President Trump had, has his hand and he's helping him get up the stairs because the man suffers from polio. All right. Well, here's what the worst woman in the world, as, at least as of yesterday, does. CNN political reporter Danielle Diaz sees this with with president trump kind of holding mitch mcconnell's hand to assist him up the stairs because he has polio and she sends out this condescending tweet where she says that handlock between trump and mcconnell though you know it's just she's mocking the fact that president trump was it, it grabbed his hand to help him up the stairs the the man is a polio survivor and she retained that on her Twitter feed. It was so she decided to mock him. Now my guess is because she was ignorant, she did not understand that Mitch McConnell was a polio survivor. But even after posting this, and even after being roundly ridiculed for this, she continued to leave it up. A CNN co- colleague. Even, it was so bad that they had to call her out on CNN. One of her colleagues apparently quoted her tweet and explained the situation, um, saying, hey, um, you know, I don't know what you think is funny about this, but he is a polio survivor. And matter of fact, CNN's correspondent even had to come out and say, McConnell is a polio survivor, a reason why stairs can be tricky at times. Um, McConnell often goes up one step at a time, sometimes needs a railing for assistance. This time, Trump, uh, he used Trump for balance. This is what passes for objective journalism in 2017, a CNN reporter mocking a polio survivor because the hatred of President Trump is so intense that we have to just mock anything he does. Shame on this woman, the worst person in the world, at least for yesterday, Daniela Diaz. Okay, when we come back, three big things. Should you have to, quote, speak American in an American high school? It's 844. This is Jeff Wagner. It's eight forty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. In light of Foxconn and Amazon, is it time for the state to pause and reassess the economic development boom underway, or should officials keep the pedal to the metal and forge ahead with more scafidian Bill Stat debate that is today at one thirty-five? Be sure to check that out. Okay, um, coming up in about right after the nine o'clock hour, we're going to be talking about uh, the the NFL and the the various their reaction to the the protests. In essence, they have decided to capitulate to the, the players. But in the wake of the NFL protests, there's a country singer named Pat Garrett, who has come out with his own song. It's called I'm going to stand. Going to as in g G-O-N-N-A, am going to stand um, if you want to. To hear the song and see a link with Pat Garrett playing that, um, you can text the word STAND, S-T-A-N-D, to us at the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620, and we'll send you a a link to a, a song that I predict is going to be making its way up the country charts very very quickly it's called i'm gonna stand he debuted it the other day we're actually going to play it a little bit later as we talk about the nfl owners and their reaction to the protest but if you want to hear the story, if you want to hear the song and see the the background of this just simply text the word stand s-t-a-n-d to 414-799-1620 and we will be glad to share that with you all right big story number one a high school teacher Cliffside Park High School is in trouble because she is captured on a twenty-five second video um, talking to a couple students. Here's essentially what happens. And this is um, this is it's a New Jersey high school. She is in she is in class, and what happens is there's apparently a couple of the students in the class who are speaking in Spanish. They are talking to each other. The teacher in the class um, gets into a discussion. Apparently, they're chatting in Spanish about a Yankees playoff game. The student says they feel more comfortable speaking in Spanish and English. The teacher then says, look, in my class, I want you to speak American they speak english she says, i want you to speak american and she says you know soldiers here are fighting for your freedom they're not fighting for your right to speak spanish they're fighting for your right to speak american she should have said speak english but the, the point is you know they are she's telling them hey in this classroom this isn't a spanish class i want you to speak english um the the student and then this is captured on video the student stands up, closes his folder, storms out of of the room, saying, I laughed at this because, first of all, American's not a language. I have the language I speak. That's my right. There's no law that says I should or must speak English. Um, Somebody in the community, let's see, says, she isn't allowing the students to express his constitutional right. One recent graduate said, another student accused the teacher of being closed-minded. You are being a racist. I know how to speak English. School district has not commented publicly on whether the teacher will face any punishment. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You have a New Jersey high school. You have kids who, number one, are talking in class and, number two, are speaking in Spanish. The educator, the teacher, says, Nope. I don't want you speaking in Spanish in my classroom. She is now being denounced as being racist. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. All right. If you, I, I tell you, sometimes I think the world, we, we've gone through the looking glass. Feel free to disagree with me, but here you have an American high school, An American classroom and the teacher is being criticized for saying I want you to speak English this is not a situation where she's grabbing the kids in the hallway and saying you can't speak Spanish in the hallway or she's grabbing the kids in the lunchroom and saying hey you've got to speak English in the lunchroom she's saying in my classroom I don't want you conversing in Spanish when you are talking to each other in class, which you probably shouldn't be doing in the first place. Is it racist for her to maintain this position? My answer is no. 414-799-1620, we discuss. And again, if you want this this song, I'm going to stand. We'll play it for you a little bit later on. But if you want it, you can simply text the word stand to that same number, 414-799-1620. Back to discuss Speaking American in the Classroom. Stick around. It's 852. This is Jeff Wagner. Let me be clear, I think teachers have every right to impose rules in their classroom. And if this teacher decides to say, I do not want people speaking Spanish, anything other than English in my classroom during class time, I think she has every right to do that. And this idea that these kids have the absolute right to do whatever they want, the absolute constitutional right to disobey a teacher, I think is absurd 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Randy in Wawatosa Randy, you're first. Good morning.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: I got on right away. You did? I listen, to your, I listen to your show all the time. Thanks. I just wanted to comment that my son went to Marquette University. I think he went to Marquette as well, and he was great at math. And they really wanted him to be a teacher, but he decided to become an expert because it's so hard to be a teacher today. And obviously, that, what you're commenting on, that's definitely not racist, but it's so difficult to be a teacher today that there was very few kids in his graduating class at Marquette University even wanted to become a teacher. So mm-hmm. for the reasons of uh, all the problems that teachers have today, all the things they have to deal with other than when we were kids. Yeah. So that was pretty much what I was wanting no, to say. Well, yeah.
0: it's right. I mean, it's, it's it, it. I think you're right. It's one of these things. This is the aggravation. Now, again, it would it, be one thing if the kids wanted to speak spanish whether they're at lunch or in the hallways or stuff like that but here you have a couple of kids that are talking in class they're talking about the yankees game for goodness sakes and they're speaking in spanish she doesn't understand spanish so she doesn't know exactly what she doesn't know what the kids are saying number one so it's an american classroom she says hey you know if you're gonna t- i don't want you talking in spanish speaking in spanish i'm sorry i don't think that is an unreasonable position Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, here are on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
3: Morning, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I, I'm Hispanic. I, we grew in my house. We spoke Spanish in the house, but everywhere else we spoke mm. English. It, it, um, and I, I'm not a big person pushing for English first or English only, but there's a reason for all of this. Is The teacher doesn't know what these kids are saying. They don't know if they're talking about her or making disparaging comments about other kids or right. giving each other answers to test. It, she doesn't know. So it's a simple rule. It should be obeyed. And those people who think it's racist uh, are complete morons. We're in the United States of America, not not we're not in you know the United right. States of Mexico. So well, well, it, it, it irritates
0: me. Well, it does, and it, it irritates me as well. Now, okay, you you could say that maybe she should have been more, oh, I don't know, compassionate or understanding. Now, we, we only have a twenty-five second video, which captures the end of of this. So I don't know what went on in the two or three minutes leading before this um where where there whether there's an extended dialogue whether she you know asked the kids to stop speaking spanish and then they you know started talking back to her in the video you can see one of these punks just laughing at her getting up slamming his books and and stalking out which my case that that's that's fine i mean here's a guy that you, you if that's how you're going to react to authority figures and you're going to react to your teachers in the classroom um, tells me you're going to have a problem later on in life. But that's, of course, you know, what happens nowadays, where you have the inmates that think that they run the asylums. I think this lady, and again, I don't know what she said beforehand, um, and but in an American classroom, I don't think it's unreasonable for a teacher to say, hey, you are going to have to speak English. All right, big story number two is coming up. The NFL caves into their players. A country western singer responds With a song called I'm Gonna Stand. We're going to discuss it all. If you want a link to hear the song in advance, you can simply text the word STAND, S T A N D, to 414 799 1620, and you can get a listen for yourself. It's 859. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 908, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You know, we were talking a little bit about Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon is the the loose cannon. Former Donald Trump advisor, Breitbart guy, who has declared war on the establishment wing of the Republican Party. Um, we, we've got a if, if we're if my political action committee is going to support you, you've got to denounce Mitch McConnell. You've got to denounce those establishment Republicans. Now, where where does that ultimately lead you? Well, it leads you to I don't know 2010, say when, for example, Harry Reid in 2010. Harry Reid, who was the very liberal senator from Nevada, should never have been reelected. And the only reason he got reelected is because the Republican Party in Nevada lost its mind and picked... Perhaps the only candidate that could not have beaten Harry Reid, a woman named Sharon Angle, and she lost. She only got about 45 percent of a vote. That played out in a couple of other races as well, where the Republicans in this kind of we've got to find the anti-establishment um, crew. So they nominated people who were so extreme they were just unelectable. And the Republican Party kind of got its act together and ended up, you know, taking back the U.S. Senate and taking back the House of Representatives. Now you have this Steve Bannon character who is hell bent on repeating 2010 by demanding these litmus tests and supporting these candidates who are are just flat bizarre. Now I, I bring this up because the the Bannon backed super PAC just endorsed Kevin Nicholson, who's one of the two people running for US Senate um, to challenge Tammy Baldwin. Now I, I'm not saying Nicholson is bizarre, but he's running against Leah Vukmir and apparently again there's this litmus test. You have to pledge to get the ban in support. You have to pledge that you know you're not gonna support Mitch McConnell and that you're gonna back the Trump, you know, agenda up and down. And if you don't if you don't get our litmus test, we don't care who is more electable. Now I mean I guess it's up for debate right now whether Kevin Nicholson or Leah Vukmir is more electable in the general election. But I'm telling you, you've got some of these right-wing extremists who are pushing these litmus tests. It was a disaster for Republicans back in 2010, and it'll be a disaster in 2018 unless people get their act together. Here is the latest example of this. There is a Senate race going on in Alabama. It is a race to replace Jeff Sessions, who's the current attorney general. Alabama is about as red a state as you can possibly get. It is unthinkable that a Republican could lose a statewide race in Alabama. And yet, there's a new poll out. And again, I understand people are somewhat skeptical of polls, but the the Republican candidate is a guy named Roy Moore. You will remember this. He's backed by like the Bannon crew, and uh, actually even President Trump supported in the Republican primary, supported the guy's uh, opponent, a guy named Luther Strange, who had been appointed to the Senate um, at, at Trump's request. So the, the Bannon group came in, and, and they supported the, this Roy Moore guy, who is, he, he's had to, he had to, his positions were so very out there that, you know, he had to actually step down as the state's Supreme Court justice twice, twice. And, and again, this is – we're not just talking about conservative, but Roy Moore is way, way out there to the point that there's a lot of members of the U.S. Senate, Republicans, who are thinking, this guy is going to be joining us? Really? Well, anyhow, he might not be. There's a new poll out. And, again, it is impossible to lose elections for Republicans in Alabama. There is a new Fox poll that says the race is tied. Roy Moore is tied with the Democratic opponent. Now, I am not saying – and six weeks from now, um, when, when they have the, the ultimate you know, special election is held, I'm not saying that Roy Moore is going to lose. But I'm going to tell you something. This race in Alabama, if you had a mainstream Republican candidate, that mainstream Republican candidate would win by 25 or 30 points. This has the potential to be a nail-biter because, again, you've got... The, the sort of extremist wing who are making demands, you know, you you've got to you've got to want to get rid of Mitch McConnell. You've got to be willing to blow this all up. Well, the only thing they're going to blow up is the chances that Republicans have of containing and retaining a majority. So I, I look at this and I understand that Steve Bannon and the Super PAC wants to play in Wisconsin. And all, all right, maybe, maybe that's going to be great. Maybe they're going to bring some sort of money to it. To me, I want candidates that can win and nominating. Crazy people or nominating people that are very, very out there on the edges and the extreme, that is not the recipe for winning elections. It might make a certain segment of the population feel good. But, for example, in Wisconsin, um, if you're going to demand weird sort of litmus tests, all you do is you guarantee six more years of Tammy Baldwin. All right. Big story number two. Let's... um. Let's kind of lead in with this. Yesterday, the, uh, y- yesterday the, the NFL owners met, and there were reports that the NFL owners were going to be um, maybe considering imposing rules and requirements on the, the players, making them stand. Well, they completely backed down. They, they completely backed down. They decided, okay, we're, we're not going to enforce any sort of rules. Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, was actually confronted by a group of the Black Lives Matter folks who were screaming at him because he had the audacity to say that he thinks players should stand during the national anthem. It also became very clear after the meetings that that these protests were about social injustice. This was all about, we're going to get in, this is all about these protests, or let's get in bed with the Black Lives Matter movement. And the NFL owners decided to do that. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a second. But in response to this whole thing, there's a country singer named Pat Garrett, and, and Pat Garrett has come out with a, a new song. His response to the protests that are going on at the football games, it's called I'm Going to Stand. Let's share it with you. Here it is.
4: I'm going to stand. Well, I'm going to stand with my hand on my heart because the glory represents the nation I love. And I'm gonna honor all those people who died as our symbol of freedom, waves gloriously above. We're so lucky to live in the land of the free, so won't you stand up alongside of me? Because I'm gonna stand for the country of. white, and blue Our star-spangled banner Gives me chills inside It fills my heart With our nation's pride The stripes and the stars On the background of blue When I see our flag I know what to do We're so lucky to live In the land of the free Hey, won't you stand up Alongside of me i I'm gonna stand For the country I love Yeah I'm gonna stand I'm gonna stand For America Our great land I'm gonna stand For all we've been through Yeah, I'm gonna stand For the red, white, and blue For the red, white, and blue For the red, white, and blue Susie Dalton, (laughs) co-writer. That's
0: I'm Going to Stand by Pat Garrett. If you want a link to that, you can text the word STAND, S-T-A-N-D, to 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Coming up, big story number two, the NFL owners decide, well, those players, they don't have to stand. We'll discuss. It's 917. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 919. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Huh. Judging by the number of texts we're getting, I think that's a potential. I think that's a potential hit. If you want, uh, if you want the song and the background of it, I'm going to stand. Uh, simply text the word "stand" S T A N D to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, which is the Accendant Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Well, if you are an NFL football player. The NFL has decided that you you don't have to you don't have to stand. Here's the story. They had they had this Now this is causing the NFL a huge amount of problems. There are a lot of reasons why NFL TV ratings are down. Um, I I think the loss of stars like Aaron Rodgers and Odell Beckham and J.J. Watt, that's hurting them among casual fans. I think the oversaturation of, of games is hurting them. I think competition from there's so much other things to do is hurting them. And I'm sorry, I think that there are a lot of average fans that are just turned off by these various protests. And I think some of the owners are turned off by this. You had Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, saying, hey, I expect my players to to stand during the National Anthem. You have the owner of the Miami Dolphins saying, I don't want you doing this stuff. If you don't want to stand during the National Anthem, just stay in the tunnel. And the owners were meeting, considering what to do about this. They caved in to the players. Here's the way the New York Times reports it. The NFL owners, for now, will continue to let players kneel or sit During the national anthem without a penalty, capitulating to demands by the athletes for free expression, but potentially, this is the New York Times, further alienating fans who object to the protests and feel they are disrespectful to the flag and the military. Um, After a meeting Tuesday with Union representatives players, the league not only said they weren't going to punish people, but they promised to help support some of the causes targeted by the protesting players, including reform of the criminal justice system. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. So at least for the foreseeable future, now with the blessing of the owners, the NFL protests will continue. 414-799-1620. 4147991620 did the owners do the right thing now the the owners admittedly at this point in time because they didn't make rule changes before the the beginning of the year they they're kind of in a trick box because if they decided that they were going to implement penalties you know the union would have filed grievances and filed lawsuits and things like that so their hands were a little bit tied but nevertheless, they have decided that they are going to jump into bed figuratively speaking with the players, no sanctions at all. Go ahead and do what you want on our time, on our sidelines. I think this is going to I don't want to say irre, I don't want to say cause irrevocable damage to the NFL, but you know what if they were trying to uh, again get past this, this was the worst possible decision, and I don't think fans are going to forget. 414-799-1620, did the owners do the right thing by capitulating to the players and saying no problems with protesting however you want on the sidelines? And keep in mind, you, you can't do a happy dance in the end zone after you score a touchdown. You can't, I don't know, put stuff on your shoes, but you can kneel during the National Anthem. 414 hmm. 799 I think this is a disastrous decision by the owners. It's 923 we discuss next. If you're on the line please hold on.
3: It seems logical that folks would think that having a drain cleared by a professional plumber would cost way more than hiring a drain router. After all the difference between a drain router and a plumber could be eight years of training and schooling required to get a state master's license. Plus, a plumber is qualified to identify the cause of drain troubles and perform the work required to solve them. So when you call a smell-good plumber to clear a clogged drain in your home, not only does your drain get cleared, but you'll get a fully licensed and expertly trained plumber that will diagnose the exact cause of your problem and prescribe a long-term solution should your particular stoppage require one. And get this, because we're as efficient as we are clean, restoring the flow to a main drain only costs 189 dollars which is way less than the poke-and-go drain rooters. I'm Eric Smith with Austin Plumbing Company, and I have a smell-good plumber that will get your drain flowing just as fast as the service we deliver. Call 262-367-3808 or smellgoodplumber.com. I'm back to doing
4: what I love and more Thanks to the Good Store
1: Plantar fasciitis feels like pointed, sharp pain, very intense. It makes you walk funny because you're trying to get pressure off your heel. I had instability. I was so frustrated. I didn't know what to do. And I was driving past the Good Feet store. I mean, why not? Give it a try. I really, truly needed to have relief in my feet. And the Good Feet arch supports were what gave me the relief I needed. Call now. 414-545-3338. The Good Feet Store has moved to a new location in Milwaukee across from Mayfair Mall in the northwest corner of Center and Mayfair Road or in Appleton across from Fox River Mall.
4: Thanks to the Good Feet Store.
1: Individual results may vary. Consult your physician for medical conditions. Visit our website at goodfeetmilwaukee.com. Don't forget, the Good Feet Store has moved to a new location in Milwaukee across from Mayfair Mall in the northwest corner of Center and Mayfair Road. Come in for your free test walk today.
0: 925 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Mike and like Text Jeff. The thing I don't understand about the players having to use football games as a platform is that. All of them, without exception, have plenty of discretionary money to launch their own campaigns, their own demonstrations or protests. They don't need to use the entertainment venue of an NFL football game. The players' union has plenty of money. They could, along with the players, come up with their own ad campaign to bring awareness to various issues that the players have. Shame on the owners for not doing the right thing. Yes, it's not like the football players are an aggrieved class. If you want to take out ads or sponsor things, you you can, you certainly have the dough to do that, but, of course, it doesn't get as much attention as if you decide to free ride on the sidelines. I think this is a very – if the NFL is trying to put this behind them, they have mishandled this as badly as they possibly can. Because I think there's just flat out a lot of people who are going to say, you know, a, a text on – a te- You know, a pox on your house. Mitch says, I see no compromise in this. Owners agree to open social dialogue in exchange for nothing in return. These are the inmates running the asylum. Alright, here's another text. It's a huge mistake. The ratings are hurting, and this will only continue the downward spiral. They are biting the hand that feeds them. Um, well, yeah, I think to an extent that is the case. Uh, Jay and Grafton says, Jeff, as far as I'm concerned, I have a lot of other things I can do. On a Sunday afternoon, Steve in Green Bay. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
2: Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I was telling you, Screener, I think they made a terrible mistake. Um, I've had these season tickets, or my folks have had season tickets. They've passed away now since when they played at East High School. Um, I'm selling the rest of my season tickets. This you are. Is ridiculous. I, I got the Badgers, as long as Bucky doesn't take any
4: E-license.
2: <laughs> well, that's – I. no, I think – I
0: mean, thanks. For, I see. I think there's a lot of, of people that in the United States – look, I don't know hardcore Packers fans or, or hardcore fans of a team, it's one thing. But I was actually talking to Wayne that The vast majority of football fans don't really have an affiliation with, with a team. They're, they're football fans. And, and there, that's where the big mass of the ratings comes from. It, it's not, okay, it's it's the people on a, on a Thursday night when the Indianapolis Colts are playing, the Tennessee Titans. It's, okay, we're football fans in general. Okay, we don't care whether Indianapolis wins or Tennessee wins, but we're kind of football fans. Those are the people that are getting, those casual fans that are getting turned off. Now, is it all of them? No. But, it, but if it's 10%, if it's 15%, if it's 20%, who are just simply saying, I've had it with these overpaid. Players, I don't want to have social protest thrown and stuck down my throat when I turn on a football game. Those are who the the people are, are losing. Ronald in Milwaukee. Ronald, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning.
4: Oh, thank you, Jeff. How are you? I
0: am well, sir. What do you think?
4: Oh, there, oh, the song is fantastic. I'm telling you, <laughs> right now is when I heard it. It is great. Stand. Absolutely. I'm not absolutely. a veteran. My dad was a veteran, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm. Uh, I was. Born and raised as a Catholic, and I went to Catholic school, and we sang the national anthem every day. <laughs>
0: and and if you, Ronald, thanks for the call, and, and if you didn't, the, those nuns were there with, with the rulers. I get all that. Now, I appreciate the call. Look, here here, here is the thing, and I understand, I, and I hear from some of you that view, okay, these protests in the same right, way you, you view the civil rights movement. This, this, somebody actually sent me a text the other day. Colin Kaepernick, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, to which I say, Really? I mean, you're, you're seriously taking one of these overpaid performers who is hijacking the, the their employer's venue to try to highlight whatever the, the issue de jour is. And you're going to be in a situation where you're going to link that to Martin Luther King or Colin, or Colin Kaepernick to Martin Luther King or to Gandhi. Um, okay, maybe people need a history lesson. In any event, you know the NFL has decided we're not going to do anything. I do appreciate that the owners were, like I said earlier, they were kind of in a trick box because by not doing something last summer – if they had decided to impose some sort of discipline you knew that this would be a league-wide fight and a legal fight but they decided to give in to the players it is a disastrous decision that is going to hurt them and you look at attendance at different stadiums and again there's lots of reasons for it but if you don't think that at least some of the drop-off is because of people's reactions to these petulant protests you're um i think you just don't flat out get it and these nfl owners don't flat out get it.
4: Well, I'm going to stand with my hand on my heart Because the glory represents the nation I love And I'm going to honor all those people who died As a symbol of freedom waves gloriously above We're so lucky to live in the land of the free So won't you stand up alongside of me Because I'm going to stand
0: of... Nine thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Who, okay, Gru, who's producing the show today and always? What do you think the odds? That's Pat Garrett. That's his new song. What do you think the odds are that he's going to be allowed to perform at the Super Bowl? Huh? Wouldn't that be something? You know, now, uh, no, no. See, here, here okay, is okay. Somebody in the Super Bowl. What? It's in Minneapolis this year. All right. Here, here is the thing. If I am some tavern owner. Or some concert promoter in Minneapolis. Here's the thing I'm doing, or you know, and you, of course you have all these parties that break out around Super Bowl weekend to bring people in. I'm booking this guy. I mean, I am booking Pat Garrett every night, and I'm saying, okay, every third song. I don't know what other songs the guy sings. Every third song. Here's here's what I want your set list to be. You know, God Bless America. Um, you know, and I'm going to stand and a handful of other songs and I'm going to tell you something that the place will be packed every night. That would be the ultimate thing, you know, because, you know, the NFL owners aren't going to book Pat Garrett to perform. I'm going to I'm going to stand. Um, at the show but if, if you actually if, if you want to hear the whole song um, we'll, we'll send you the link to it all you have to do is text the word stand s-t-a-n-d to four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, which is the academic mortgage talk and text line all right big story number three if you are a regular listener of this program you know that i am not particularly a fan of milwaukee police chief ed flynn i i think and this happens to urban police chiefs a lot. It's not unique to Flynn. I think what happens is they end up wearing out their welcome. You know, They come in with these different ideas, and a lot of times some of the stuff they do works, or it works for a little while, and then it stops working, and then they're, they're just unable to change. Ed Flynn is in that category. Ed Flynn, um, I, I think he, you either do it his way, or you don't do it at all. And you saw this with the stubbornness with the police chase stuff. Back in 2010, he decides, okay, we've had a couple situations where – the you know chases have led to civilians getting hurt so I'm gonna change the policy okay fine Well, what happens is the bad guys adapt to that the bad guys learn that hey the cops aren't gonna follow us so we can go steal cars we can blow through intersections at 90 miles an hour we can make obscene gestures at the police as we're doing this and they're not gonna follow us and we're gonna get away the policy again may be well intended for 2010, but in 2017 it's not working. But Ed Flynn doesn't want to hear that. Ed Flynn says, "Well, I'm not going to do this." So what happens is he has to be forced under under threat of essentially being fired. He has to be forced to do it, and it's that it's that stubbornness. It's that I'm going to dig my heels in. It's my way or the highway. I know better than anybody else. It's why urban police chiefs run. Just, just run their course, and it's why you need new ideas. It, with Ed Flynn, it got it got worse over the years because, you know, he was involved in, a, I think, a, a real high-profile incident involving his personal life that reflected badly on him, and after that, it seems to me he, he just became what I think was kind of a political puppet of the mayor, parroting a, a lot of the mayor's lines. I mean, you know, he, he'd sit at the... I mean he shows up at this community brainstorming thing, and his explanation for why crime is out of control in the city of Milwaukee is well it's the concealed carry law, which is absolutely one of the stupidest comments ever to come out of a public official's you know mouth okay the the, the people that are stealing cars. And running from police or carjacking people. These aren't people with concealed carry permits and it's not people that are getting their guns from people with concealed carry permits. It's just it was a ridiculous thing to say, but it's you know, he's currying favor with the mayor, and I think that's hurt him it's a lot he lost a lot of credibility over the years with the department. So I think I think it is time, I think it's actually way past time for the chief to go and, you know, to get somebody new in there. All right, so I, I don't disagree with that general concept. That being said, yesterday on a narrow vote, the Milwaukee Common Council passed a, a, a law, a rule, which would have allowed the Common Council to fire either the fire or police chief by a two thirds vote. Now, the way it works right now is by state law. The Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission has the authority to appoint the chiefs, both to the fire and police department. Um, So this would – and so actually, I mean, technically, the police chief works for the Fire and Police Commission, but the Fire and Police Commission is controlled by the mayor. So, I mean, the bottom line is if Tom Barrett loses faith in – and Ed Flynn, Tom Barrett says to his appointees, get rid of him, and he goes. So, I mean, it's the Fire and Police Commission, but they really, they're all appointed by the mayor. They largely do what the mayor wants them to do. So this rule would have allowed the Fire and Police Commission to get rid of the police chief. Now, I think this would be disastrous because maybe, maybe you agree with me that it's time for Ed Flynn to go all right but do you really want 15 politicians that's how many members there are of the Common Council do you really want 10 politicians who've got all sorts of different constituencies and all sorts of different interests having the power to fire a police chief forget about Ed Flynn okay forget about whether Ed Flynn should be here or gone I mean think about this moving forward What happens if you get a true tough on crime police chief who says, look, I'm going to really crack down on this. I, I'm 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 tired of the do-gooders saying that we we shouldn't pursue people, that we shouldn't make these arrests. And you know what? I'm gonna use my bully pulpit to call out the DA's office. Wouldn't that be refreshing to call out the DA's office when we catch people, these juvenile offenders, and they just turn them loose? And I'm gonna use my bully pulpit to call out the juvenile court justice judges who, you know, let people steal car after car after car and send them back out on the street to keep committing cars. What if you had a true law and order police chief? And then you have a handful of elected members of the Common Council who decide, well, we don't like this. You know, he's you know, the, the, some of our constituents are, are upset because he's arresting too many of this type of person or that type of person. We, we don't like this. So, you know, we're going to band together and fire him because he, he's too tough. I, I think this opens up the door. To all sorts of abuses. And, I mean, I don't ever think it's a good idea for a police department to become politicized. I think Ed Flynn, in an effort to keep his job, part of his problem is he's allowed himself to be politicized. He's gotten in bed with the mayor and he started spouting some of the, the sort of silly things that the mayor has been saying in order to deflect any responsibility that the mayor has towards the rising crime rate in the city of Milwaukee. And Flynn, to keep his job, has gotten in bed with him. Okay, that's fine. But do you really want the Common Council? And there's some good members of the Common Council, and there's some Looney Tunes that are on the Common Council. Do you want a a bunch of them being able to gang up and get rid of police chiefs? And I, I think that would be a terrible, terrible decision. Sometimes what happens is we get caught up in in the moment and you sit and you say and look and I understand some of the aldermen behind this are frustrated with Flynn and and they're right Tony Zelinsky, um, Mark Borkowski I, I think Bob Donovan and a handful of others they, they view Flynn as being non-responsive to citizen concerns about crime and again they view him as being intransigent and I think that that's true they view him occasionally as being politically correct um, and, and all those complaints are right. They're they're right on. But to me, the remedy isn't allowing the Common Council the ability to band together and fire Ed Flynn or any other police chief. I mean, this is... I mean, the, the the answer ultimately is, the way it works now, is the mayor is ultimately held accountable for crime. You know, if you don't like the job the police chief is doing, you know, you, you run against the mayor. You try to, you know, and that's, you get a new mayor in there who says, okay, I'm going to use my power, my ability to point people to the Fire and Police Commission, and I don't have the confidence in the police chief, and, and he's going to be gone. That's where the check is. But to dilute that power and to give... Again, 10 or 11 members of the Common Council, the ability to fire the police chief for any or no reason, I think would create an incredibly bad precedent. I think it would potentially lead to an inability to get decent law enforcement people into that job and would just create a total mess. So regardless of whether or not you think Ed Flynn should go, I think this idea that you want the Fire and Police Commission to be able to be, I'm sorry, you want the Common Council to be able to force that. Now, the Common Council has their power. They have the ability, first of all, they, they deal with the budget of the police department. Secondly, I mean, they have the ability to, again, use the media to bring about pressure. And you saw that with the chase policy. Flynn's chase policy was not working. He was refusing to make any sort of changes, so they had to force his hand. Well, okay, now he's made the changes. I think it's all going to be for the better. It is unfortunate that he was non-responsive. It's unfortunate that he didn't care until he decided he had to make those changes in order to keep his job. But ultimately, that system worked. He made the changes. The mayor says he's going to veto this. Um, There does not appear to be enough votes to override the mayoral veto. And actually, I think that's a very, very good thing. When we come back in three minutes... Uh, the Obamacare story gets worse in Wisconsin. Stick around. It's nine forty-six. Nine forty-nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Just got one of these emails. If you want a Washington D.C. insider, then you vote for Leah Vukmir. If you want fresh ideas, then you support, support Kevin Nicholson. Nicholson is, uh, of course, the, the guy running for U.S. Senate, being backed by Steve Bannon. I, I really, I haven't taken a position one way or the other, but. Leah Vukmir, Washington Insider. These people are nuts. I mean, seriously. You're, if if you think that you're you're absolutely nuts, Leah Vukmir has been a leader in the conservative movement in this state for a long, long time. And I, I don't I don't know. I'm not saying anything negative about Kevin Nicholson, other than the fact that if if the Breitbart folks decide that they want to support him, that seems to me to be kind of a recipe for electoral disaster. I'm just I'm I'm just saying, okay. There was a story, appeared in the journal Sentinel, that if you read the headline, it's one of these things where you think, oh, this is really great news. And until until you read into the details. Now, for the longest time, I have been talking about the train wreck that is the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. Remember the big lies that President Obama told. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Well, no, you, you can't. If you like your health plan, you can keep your health plan. No, no, you, you, you can't. What's happened is we have gone, we now have for the people, and thankfully, most people in this country don't have to go into these insurance exchanges to get their policies. Most people in the country either get their insurance if they're over 65 through Medicare or or alternatively through their employer's health plans. So if you are stuck on the unaffordable under the Affordable Unaffordable Care Act exchanges, you know, you're 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 again it's 10-11 million people however many of those people are, you know, you're the ones that really are are kind of caught in in the crosshairs. Well, what's happening is a number of the insurance companies have simply decided they are not going to participate in the exchanges. And that's why, what, what are the numbers? They estimate by like next year, 70% of the counties are gonna only have one insurer that is going to participate. So here's the headline in the Journal Sentinel, Common Ground Healthcare Cooperative, and they run one of the exchanges in Milwaukee County, health plans are adding children's hospital. Oh, okay, you think oh, that, that's good, they're, they're adding Children's. Well, here's the story. Common Ground Healthcare Cooperative said Children's Hospital Wisconsin will add Children's Hospital of Wisconsin to its network health plans for next year. The health plans also will include children's hospital clinics and specialists. Families with a child who need to be treated or seen by a specialist at Children's previously incurred the higher cost of going out of network, so it wasn't part of... The network. Uh, the chief strategy officer for Common Ground Healthcare said the cooperative ensures relatively few children. But Children's Hospital, now here's the dazzling detail Children's Hospital needed to be added to the network because Common Ground's healthcare plans next year will cover only physicians, hospitals, and other healthcare providers who are in network except for emergency care. So in other words, unless you go to the in-network provider, you've got no coverage unless it is for an emergency type of situation. You can't even pay like the out-of-network fees. You've got to use, you are forced to use the in-network provider. Common Grounds Healthcare Network is tied to Aurora Healthcare and Bellin Health in the Green Bay Area. So what does this mean? And this is not a knock on Aurora at all. But, for example, around here, you have a number of really good, you know, health providers. You've got Freightert. You've got, you've got um, Columbia St. Mary's, what do they call it, Ascension now? the Columbia St. Mary's. And you've got Aurora. Under this plan, if you are stuck with common, uh, with, with common ground, you, you know, you're, you're in the Aurora system. And it's not to knock the Aurora system, but you, you can't go anywhere else. You are now trapped in that, and again, I, I, you know, it's fine. I'm not indicting the Aurora Care, but maybe, you know, I don't know. Wouldn't it be nice that if you really got a chance to keep your doctor, or you really got a chance to keep your healthcare network, so if you, I don't know, um, have to deal with an issue like. I don't know, cancer, you know, maybe you could just kind of ask around and say, okay, well, I, I think that there's this really great doctor that's at Columbia St. Mary's, or this is really great doctor at Freight- and um you know, I'm dealing with, with cancer or whatever. I want to go there. Well, if you're under the Affordable Care Act and you have in Milwaukee County, uh, no, chances are you're not going to be able to do that if you go through common ground. The health insurer is one of three that will sell health plans next year in the marketplace, set up through the Affordable Care Act in Milwaukee. The other two are Network Health and Children's Community Health Plan, an affiliate of Children's Hospital of Wisconsin. My point is, for anybody who doesn't think that Obamacare is imploding, imagine if you're one of the people that is in that That it is, is, and again, I, I use the phrase stuck because you don't have any choices. Before Obamacare, you had a variety of choices. You could pick out different health care networks. You could find insurance and insurance plans that allowed you to use the hospitals and the doctors that you want. You don't have that option anymore. And what's happening is... Premiums are going through the roof, and the only reason they don't go even higher is because the government has artificially subsidized this. Trump now says he's going to stop doing that. I bring this up only to make the point that for anybody who doesn't think that we need major health care reform in this country, that you can simply let Obamacare go on and on, just talk to the people for whom no choice, no real choice exists because you can't find anymore a health plan that says, if I want to use X hospital, even if I'm willing to pay more, even if I'm willing to pay out of network, you're not even able to do that anymore. Does anybody think that that's really working out? It's 955. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What a start to our WTMJ Cares campaign presented by First Bank Financial Center. Thanks to your generosity, rides and rains will not have to close its doors. Now, in this final week, we're continuing the push to heat their barn so kids can take advantage of this opportunity year-round. La- yesterday at the Incredible Age Expo, I-, I met the lady who runs Rides and Rains. What an outstanding, what a cool woman. Um, for more information on how to donate, just text the word "care" C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620 and be listening for our Radiothon tomorrow starting at 830. It is all very cool. All right. Do not go anywhere. Coming up uh, right after the news, we have a little bit of an announcement that um, I can't wait to make. So we got that coming up. And then after that, um, a Racine Unified Principal is on leave and in trouble. I'll tell you why and we'll discuss. Stick around. It is all coming up. It is 9.59. It's ten oh eight. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. We have a bit of an announcement to make. Um, something I'm very excited about. Um, let me let me back into this. About a year ago, maybe a little bit more. For for eighteen years, we really had the WTMJ really unprecedented stability from our, our eight thirty to, to three o'clock session. We had Charlie Sykes which did eight thirty noon, and I I did noon to three, and I, I always. I just I loved that noon to three time slot when Charlie announced that he was retiring. WTMJ and I, I said this at the time. Station management could have taken the the easy and the cheap way out, gone out and said let's let's just find syndicated programming and let's let's put it in. and And they decided they weren't going to do that. They decided what we want to do is we want to find somebody and maybe unconventional, maybe somebody from outside the radio business. We want to find somebody who can come in and you know develop a show who knows the community and all that. And that person. is... Isn't necessarily easy to find. I know everybody thinks that they can do this, this job. <laughs> I, I hear from that all the time, and and, and I, I've always said that that anybody who's articulate and has an opinion, you know, you, you've got several good hours of talk radio in you. But the, the thing is, you know, day, you know, then okay, you, you have two great hours. Then there's the third hour, and then there's Tuesday, and then there's Wednesday. It's it, it's it's a great job, but you know, it, it is in fact a job. It's why you know you look at. I mean, I remember back in the day of Air America, you had people like uh, Janine Garofalo or Al Franken. You know, they, they got, with much fanfare, they got these shows, and then they flamed out because they just couldn't sustain it. So, um, I, you know, WTMJ and our, our station management decided to reach out, let's try to find somebody. And it was a actually a several-month process, and ultimately, I think everybody knows, they found Steve Scafidi, former mayor of Oak Creek, who joins me in the studio now, but d- is doing an absolutely outstanding job. Well, at the time, Charlie announced that he was retiring. WTMJ knew that they were going to be making this th- this search, and we knew that it was going to perhaps take a little while to find somebody who could, you know, do what, you know, we need to do to serve the audience and all. So they came to me and they said, we, we want, you know, are you willing to move to the 830 to noon time slot? And uh, because we really had to do that, you, you couldn't have this sort of vacuum in that 8.30 to, to noon time slot. And I, I said, sure. And the truth is I did it a little bit reluctantly because I love the 8.30 to noon time slot. And, you know, we, we don't talk about, I, as a matter of principle, never talk about the the, the business side of it, but the, the show was very successful and I've been, been doing this for 18 years. Um, also, this early morning time slot, at, at the time, it really didn't work out very well with my lifestyle. And I think as, as many of you know, um, I, I've really kind of gotten a second chance at, at life. I mean, my first wife passed away after a long battle with cancer, and um, I have remarried wonderful woman. And um, the the eight thirty to noon time slot, for a variety of reasons, really isn't conducive to our to our my new life, and so um, it's been an ongoing discussion with station management um you know looking towards the the future now one of the things again that has changed over the last year is when i moved into the 830 slot we didn't again there there really wasn't a choice we didn't have a steve scafidi on staff well now you know a year after that search began we've got a steve scafidi on staff who joins me now and and so what we're going to do and this is um it's certainly with my when when i When this option was discussed with me, my first question was, how how soon can we do this? Starting next Monday, we are going to flip-flop. Steve Scafidi is going to be taking over the 8.30 to noon slot, and I'm going to be going back to the slot that I had for 18 years, noon to 3. And I'm joined now by Steve Scafidi.
1: Thanks for having me in studio. It should be said, that's a time slot, my old time slot, that you dominated for a long time. (laughs) And you do a fantastic job. The opportunity that I've had here is incredible. I had 25 years in the private sector, 10 years in the public sector, five as mayor, and I'm handed the opportunity to use all that experience to talk about things I think are important that's going on locally, at the state level, and nationally. Mm -hmm. And in the, I think, eight months that I've done this, with some great mentoring from all the folks here, including you and, and Eric Bilstead, certainly, and the management, I've I've crafted a show and and I think I've found the ability to take the stories that we talk about every day with my conservative viewpoint and make have them make sense for the audience. What does this mean for you every day? So I take all my experience and we talk about those stories and I I'm really looking forward to doing it right out of the box at 8:30. That is a time slot that works great for me. <laughs> yeah. I love that.
0: Well right because you are you are a morning guy and and again without going into too many details this was it, it was always somewhat problematic for me and now got married a couple weeks ago and, and given all sorts of things this this gives me my life back it it really does in a very meaningful fashion and when i was talking about this with station management um, one of the first things i said was how is steve going to be with this and you're excited about the chance to get the topics before i do right yeah well that
1: you know we joke about yeah. it because we you know often we talk about the same topics and we, we often try to do it in different ways but they are, they are the hot topics of the day. So when we start our show at 8.30 every morning after, after Gene and Jane hand it off, we're going to come out of the box with something that's on everybody's mind. We're going to do it with full attention on how that impacts our audience, our listeners. That's how we're going to start the show all of our regular features will still be there. Instead of the one, it's the 4010. Of course, the Friday Forum. We're going to tweak that a bit, make it more news, newsworthy, more news of the day, so we can get comments from real people that are in the community leaders, people that are known as thought leaders in the community, what they think about the stories that we talk about. I am very excited about the shift to, to the uh, morning hours. I, I, as I said, I'm a morning person. <laughs> the fact that I can and get going on these stories right out of the box, I am thrilled about it. There's so much to talk about You know, as we have elections coming up. I, I actually was at an event Friday with uh, Leah Vukmir, who's, of course, running for U.S. Senate, and we had a conversation about just all the dynamics of a race like that and the fact that we can bring people in like Leah Vukmir, like mm-hmm. uh, Paul Ryan, who he has, Speaker Ryan. That's what we're going to do. What are, the, what are the hot topics of the day? Who are the newsmakers? We're going to talk to them every week during the morning.
0: And I will be following uh, in your footsteps from, from noon to 3, time slot I had for 18 years. And, again, that works a lot better with my lifestyle. Steve, I know I, I, you have been an incredible addition to WTMJ, and I think that this is Again, from a transition perspective, I think this is going to be absolutely tremendous. We start next Monday. I'm I'm off the next two days. We've got a Radiothon um, for Rides and Rains from 8.30 to 10. Then there's Phil and hosts, and then starting next next Monday, right? We are
1: ready to go next Monday. Eric and I will kick it off at 8.30.
0: And then the that's so it's Scafidi and Bill Stead. Then at twelve noon, it's going to be the Jeff Wagner show. So that is our big announcement. We are all very excited about this. So tune in at eight thirty to hear Steve Scafidi starting next Monday, and be sure to stick around as I go back to my twelve noon time slot. It's ten sixteen. This is Jeff Wagner six twenty WTMJ. Ten eighteen. Jeff Wagner six twenty WTMJ. Um, that's you know we, we, this has actually been in the works for for a little while. For like a variety of reasons, again the the, the eight thirty time slot. I, I love the I love the job, but it just wasn't. It just was not conducive to where my life is right now, and this makes it a huge difference and, and actually has the potential for extending my career at WTMJ for a number of years, and I, I really appreciate that because it, it allows me to have this life that I want to have right now and still do the radio show that I absolutely love, and so I am I am very, very excited about this. Um, I, I think I, I my decision, I think I'm going to make... A lot of the some of the features, you know, we, we started doing the, the three big things to start off the show. I kind of like that, and I think at least my plan is that we're going to continue to do that. Except we'll start at twelve o'clock. Um, we will keep pop culture corner probably two thirty segment of Friday, and I am a to- uh, Thursday, and I really like our our weekend review feature. As a matter of fact, I am toying with the idea of adding a third panelist. Um, and then maybe even expanding it to an hour on Friday afternoon. So I'm toying with these different things, but um, this is kind of a fresh start, and we started it again on, on Monday, and Steve will do an absolutely tremendous job in the 8.30 to noon slot. I have no doubt about it. Tune in. And then um, for everybody who used to listen to me on their lunch hours in the afternoons, and we still hear from a lot of people saying, well, we used to listen over lunch or whatever, and we miss you in the afternoon. Well, I'm, I'm going back to the afternoon where I just uh, was there for 18 years, and I love it. And grew. my producer, you are coming with me, so you don't have to get up as early either. That is my gift to you. Okay. Um, here's a story I've been waiting all morning to discuss with you. There, there are rules and then there are rules and then there are perhaps exceptions to to the rules. Being a teacher or a school administrator is a very, very difficult job when it comes to student discipline. So here is the story out of Racine that I want to share with you. Um, she is a, a principal. Um, she's the principal at Jefferson Lighthouse Elementary School and she has been put on leave of absence. I mean this has been reported by numerous sources. Um, the Racine journal times had it, fox 6 had it as well. She's been reported uh, she's been put on leave of absence. The allegations are that she brought a knife to school. Now I understand you're hearing that you say Jeff. I mean she brought a knife to school. You know what this is you know this is it's got to be you know you this how how could she bring a knife to school? Well, okay, she didn't bring a butcher knife to school. She didn't bring a switchblade to school. She brought a, a pocket knife with a, a three-inch blade to school. All right, here's, here's what happens. Um, um, her story, I guess, it, is this. Um, last week, the unified staff contacted the Racine police after learning about an incident involving a principal bringing a knife to school. Sometime in September... The principal at this elementary school reportedly asked a custodian to walk her to her her car after an incident in which a group of neighborhood children prevented her from backing out of her parking spot and leaving. Right. So she says to the custodian, hey, I I need some help. I, I was confronted by this this gang of kids in talking to the custodian. The principal reportedly said, I'm glad they didn't touch my new car. I would have gotten out. That's why I keep a knife in my backpack. Several days later, in the elementary school lobby, again, after school, the principal again mentioned her knife in talking to the custodian and then pulled it from her backpack and opened it. Um, when your unified administrators talked to her about the incident, she said, yeah, I, I, I've got a knife in, in my vehicle. She turned over the knife, which has an approximately three-inch blade to administrators. So it's not like this lady is carting around a butcher knife. It's not like she's carting around a switchblade. But she's got a pocket knife with a, a three-inch blade. And my guess is that there are many of you who probably attached to your keychain or something, you know, walk around with, like, one of those Boy Scout pocket knives or a Swiss Army knife or something like this. Um, so the school district finds out, oh, my God, you've got this principal. And, and she's, she's got this pocket knife that, that she has. The police and again this is the racine journal times reporting reportedly talked to her and she said i've been trained to use a knife or i would not have one i have the knife for protection this is what i get for being honest this is all because i confided in a staff member that i trusted so in other words she trusted this custodian she's saying nobody would have known about this except you know i, I shared this information with him or i think it's a him as he was walking me to my car and he's kind of ratted me out the uh District's chief of communications says, The district takes these allegations very seriously, and we hold our all our employees to high standards. We have taken appropriate and immediate action. We're working closely with the staff at Jefferson to ensure cont- continuation of leadership and focus on our students' learning. Um, the matter has apparently been referred to the district attorney's office. Um, the district attorney's office, as of this point in time, says that you know we we haven't we, we don't we haven't made a decision yet as to whether we're going to issue any sort of charges at all against again in this case it's the principal um this is creating quite a bit of consternation the school superintendent sends out a notification here's what it says i'm writing today to inform you that Principal Williams is on leave of absence. I want you to know that my team is working closely with the staff to ensure your child continues to have an excellent educational experience this year and that this change in leadership goes smoothly. Um, such and such will serve as your interim directing principal. She's an excellent and veteran school leader, etc. I have every confidence that she will work to collaboratively keep Jefferson moving forward and ensure your child has a fun and successful year. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I think this woman is being railroaded. I understand that she perhaps broke a rule, maybe technically broke a law. I think it is absolutely ridiculous that she should be disciplined, suspended, or lose her job because she brought a pocket knife to school to protect her herself 4147991620 is there anybody who thinks that under these circumstances this woman should lose her job does this make her unsuited to be the principal at this school the fact that after there was a confrontation and after kids tried to block her car um that she decided hey i need some protection so i'm putting this pocket knife in my backpack was she dumb to apparently share the fact that she had this with the custodian? Yes, yes, she was. But is this the type of judgment error that you think should cost this lady her job, much less be charged with a crime? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1026. This is Jeff Wagner. 1027, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And it's a fair question. I don't know the answer because nobody's saying whether she had reported security concerns to Racine Unified before you know, she just took it upon herself to bring a pocket knife to school. But it was a pocket knife that she had in her backpack. Um, really, you're going to lose your job over this? Seriously? Or they're even considering criminal charges over this? Maybe what we need to do is figure out why it is that teachers and administrators feel threatened in the classroom in the first place. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, Mary in Kenosha. Mary, you're first. Good morning.
2: Oh. Exactly, Jeff. That's what you were just saying. I didn't hear that part earlier. I was waiting when I was Uh on hold. And, um, absolutely. If they, if she loses her job, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. This is ridiculous. And what I hadn't heard anything about was the fact that she was held up not being able to go home one of the days. Yeah, it's ridiculous. These teachers that they go to work and I have a patient whose wife started school the beginning of the year and she was beat up in the classroom three days into school. I mean, this, this is ridiculous. This shouldn't go on.
0: Well, right, and I guess, and I and it's like, and and look, I I understand. Maybe we'd be having even a little bit different dialogue if if she had brought a, a loaded gun to school. And and I don't well, know if you, know, but but she didn't. She right. she had a three inch pocket knife for goodness yeah, sakes, you know.
2: And exactly what you said. That oh, a whole lot of people have them. I mean, I wouldn't doubt it if my mom, who's eighty five, has one in her purse. She has a tape measure. She usually has a little scissors. I think she has a little scissors in her purse. You know, she's got
0: everything. Uh, yeah. yeah I mean, I'm right, totally ridiculous. right. Now, now, thanks for calling. I mean, again, in a rational world. All right, if if we're really and I I understand. I, I don't want to get the email saying, "Well, Jeff, you can't bring weapons to school." Don't you understand? These schools are safe places. All right. First of all, okay, it's a three-inch pocket knife. Secondly, this is the principal who has it. Um, because she thinks that, that she's going to need this potentially for for self-protection, you know, after she's been confronted by the, these out-of-control kids. Um, it's not like she was brandishing this. Should she have shown it to the custodian? No, well, that was kind of one of her errors here. But, I mean, there, there's no evidence that this woman is going to, I, I don't know, pull out this pocket knife and, and menace the kids. If nothing else, it seems to me that if you feel compelled to discipline her – what you do is you whistle her in and you say, Principal, look, you know, we, we understand that you're bringing this this pocket knife to school. We understand that you have concerns, but you really don't do that. You know, don't do not do that. And, and then you just move on. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. I think this is an absolute outrage. I do. 10.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Literally, only a handful of tickets remain for, for this year's WTMJ holiday radio show to benefit Kids to Kids Christmas. Coming up November 27th to Turner Hall in Milwaukee, you can hear the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas and see all your favorite voices on stage. You get to be part of the live studio audience. We tape it for rebroadcast. Just a few tickets are left, seriously. So if you think you want to go, don't be shut out. Head to pabstheater.org now to get yours before they are all gone. I think this story out of a scene, it's just mind Absolutely mind-boggling to me that you have this situation where you've got this principal who, after apparently being confronted by a group of kids in the parking lot, takes it upon herself to put a pocket knife in her backpack. A pocket knife. A three-inch folding knife. She shows it to the custodian who dimes her out, and now she has been suspended, and the matter referred to the district attorney's office for... Potential criminal charges. Kyle in Wauwatosa says, "How is a three-inch pocket knife more dangerous than a set of scissors scattered all over the school?" The school's logic is flawed. Um, hmm. Don in Hartland, hey school district, pretend you're the TSA and just take the pocket knife away. Yeah, see that's, I, I guess if this. If this really is an issue, to me, the bigger issue is why does this woman feel threatened to the point that she needs to bring the pocket knife to protect herself? But again, it's a pocket knife in a rational, sane world. You call her in you say okay miss so and so mrs so and so whatever here you know we've got this report that you brought this pocket knife to school we understand your concerns you know what and let's talk about this do we need to put security guards in the parking lot etc and and by the way you're not supposed to bring the pocket knife to school so please don't do it i mean isn't that how you isn't that how you you handle something like this let's talk to tom in Milwaukee. tom you're on 620 wtmj
1: I think she's taking my call. Sure. Um, her losing her job, no, I don't think she should. I think a suspension science good enough. But if you look at it, she broke the rules. I mean, mm-hmm. she broke the law. She's not allowed to bring weapons into school, especially if they're concealed. And I mean, how is she supposed to expect her students to follow the rules too if she's not gonna do it?
0: Oh, but that's see See that I, I understand the the rules are rules mentality. But I I guess my problem with that is, do do we have no common sense? I mean, do do we treat the woman that brings the pocket knife to school, potentially for self-defense, after she's been confronted by by kids? Do you treat her the same way that you treat the kid that brings the machine gun to school? That's why I say, okay, yes, did she violate the rule? Yeah, I get it. But but don't you just say, don't do it again, or you take away the pocket knife? I mean, isn't that how you handle something like this?
1: Well, the thing is, yeah, you can take away the pocket knife, but there's a lot other, you know, options out there that are non-lethal. If you think
0: about it. Well, I, I mean, all right, I get okay. She, I mean, look, I will concede that she should not have brought the pocket knife. All, all right, I guess. I mean, it's against the rules. It's bringing a weapon to school. I appreciate that. All right, so she. Let 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 us get past that. She should not have done it. They're thinking about charging her criminally, for God's sake. They're they're talking of she has been suspended with the idea that she may, in fact, be fired. Have we lost our, our minds? And again, I understand. Rules are rules. Yes, I understand she brought a, a weapon, a three-inch pocket knife, to school. It's not like she pulled it on anybody. It's not like she stabbed it on anybody. She felt that she was threatened, so she brought it to school. She shouldn't have done it. Okay, let's get past this. You're going to fire her? You're going to criminally charge her for that? No. What you do is, in a world where common sense rules, you tell her not to do it again. And then you kind of move on, don't you? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mary in Bayside. Mary, you're in 620 WTMJ.
2: Yes, hi. Hi. Um, I strongly believe that this principal should lose her job because there's zero tolerance for any student To bring in any kind of weapon, they will be suspended, no matter what the weapon was. Uh, My little five-year-old grandson took a water pistol to school once, and he almost got suspended for that. She's a leader. She needs to lead in all of her actions. If she was afraid, there are many other options to do. And bringing a knife to protect herself, even if it's a small one, shows intent Harm.
0: No, well, it shows intent to no. It shows intent to defend herself. It, it doesn't show intent to harm. It, it shows an intent to fight off. Mary, I, I'm sorry. I just this conversation gives me a headache. It, it does. It makes my head explode. If your grandson was almost suspended for bringing a water school water pistol to class, that would be stupid as well. All right. Th- this idea that rules are rules. Did she violate a rule? Yes, she did. I, I understand, but this idea that you're going to fire her, that you're going to take her livelihood away because she brought a weapon, a pocket knife, to school to protect herself after she had been—should she have been done? Done it? No, I concede that she shouldn't have done it. All right, I'm—I'm I'm going to grant all that. But this idea that we have to have this zero tolerance—this is this is what drives me crazy about zero tolerance. The idea that we're going to treat the the 14-year-old girl. Who bring who's having a period and brings my doll to school the same way we're going to treat the 16-year-old who's selling heroin out of the locker room. Well, you're not supposed to bring drugs to school. I get that. Yes, it's a rule. It's fine. The fact that you're going to take – and yes, and I understand that she's in a leadership role. And I understand that this was, I guess, an exercise of, of bad judgment. Um, but – It's not like she pulled it on people. Now, yes, if she was being attacked and confronted, yes, she planned to pull it on someone. But, you know, maybe the bigger issue is why was it what was going on? that made her feel threatened enough that she felt that she had to bring the three-inch pocket knife to school. Maybe shouldn't that be what Racine Unified School District is more concerned about than whether or not this teacher or this principal in this particular case had the, quote-unquote, you know, weapon to protect her? You take it away from her. See, in a world where there, there is common sense, you you take it away from her, okay? You take it away from her. You tell her, please don't do this again. You don't go to the nuclear option. Now, I wonder if, if there's just somebody at the school district that's using this as an excuse to get rid of her. I, I, I don't know. You almost think that, this, that they have to have been trying to figure out a way. We want to move this woman along because otherwise this is just so, so over, over the top. And, I mean, and even I think the parents are sitting there. I mean, is there seriously any parent out there, I mean, who hears this story and says, oh, okay, she the, the principal had a pocket knife after she was threatened by a bunch of kids. Boy, we don't think that she should be qualified to be the principal in a situation like this. Like I say, the real issue, at least in my mind, is why did she feel necess- necessary to bring this, not should we, you know, should she lose her job? And as far as criminal charges, I got to tell you something. Um, I know the State Department of the, the state legislature is always looking for ways that you can try to save money. And I got to tell you this. If the Racine County District Attorney, and I don't know whether she's, I honestly don't know whether she's a Republican or Democrat, if the Racine County District Attorney decides that this is the type of situation that they are going to bring criminal charges for, this is God's way of telling you, telling you that, you know, you have too much money in that office. And and maybe if you're looking to try to save money, if they bring a charge like this, that tells me they got too many prosecutors in Racine. And maybe the legislature can start by saving some money, by getting rid of whoever it is. If you got enough money to bring this, this type of case, you got way too much money. Just saying. It is 1044. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in a couple minutes, we are going to... Take on the ongoing issue of President Trump and what he did or didn't say to the wife of a widow. Stick around. It's 1044. It's 1047. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What are the chances tax reform gets done in Washington? Find out from one man who led the GOP in the House of Representatives. Former House Speaker Newt Gingrich joins John and Melissa live at four thirty-four today. That is on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, Halloween is coming up, and of course, it, it always creates controversies because Halloween is one of those times historically where you, you got to you got to push the envelope with your costumes. You know, you, you got to be provocative and edgy. And nowadays. You can't be provocative and edgy because we live in this politically correct world where people are politically correct and they're perpetually offended and everybody's going to see something that's going to bother them. I talked about this, this costume that they have out. It's called The Wall, and it kind of looks like, if you think of the old Fred Flintstone cartoons, it's kind of like one of the caveman outfits, but it, it kind of looks like it says The Wall and it's got bricks in it and, and people are all offended by that. Oh, how this is racist, how disrespectful. It, it's Halloween. It's Halloween, It's satire. It's a joke. Get over it. But, I mean, people, of course, can't get over it. Here is the flip side. Now, Gru, you've just started working for me. Here's my question. Are you creeped out by clowns? Little bit. Little bit. Okay, how about mimes? Are you creeped out by mimes? Clowns more than mimes. Okay, well, that, that that's like an ongoing debate. You know, are, are you creeped out by clowns? Are you creeped out by mimes? Um... Uh, I, I hate mimes, <laughs> you know, but clowns are creepy, too. I mean, I, I, I understand this. Well, here's the deal. But what is one of the things a- at Halloween nowadays? I mean, there's 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 all these costumes that now you, you can't dress up in anymore. You, you just can't do that because somebody's going to be offended or somebody's going to upset. But one of the traditional costumes, people would dress up as a clown. O- OK, well, unfortunately, you've had some of these creepy clowns that are out there. And that's that's spoiled it for all the other clowns. Hand in the air. Here is a true story that comes from a a county down in Florida. The sheriff's office in Volusia County, Florida, took to Facebook yesterday afternoon. This is what they say. Warning to evil clowns or anyone considering creepy, showing up as a creepy clown. We will not be there to save you if your intended target defends himself or herself, and you may face other penalties as well. So, now, now the, the warning apparently was, was issued after an 11-year-old boy told deputies that he was nearly attacked by a guy dressed a, a, as a clown. And apparently... Uh, The boy, you know, told the deputy that he was riding his bicycle as he approached his high school. A clown jumped out from behind a light pole and bushes and tried to to grab him. Um, Okay, the clown, then they got into this altercation. Now, obviously, if you have people that are dressed as clowns who are committing assaultive sort of behavior, well, okay, then they, they need to be caught, they need to be arrested, they need to be prosecuted. But you know what? I would say the same thing. If you have people that are dressing up for Halloween... As firefighters or doctors or nurses or wearing masks of former President Obama or current President Trump or dressed up as football players or whatever, and they're jumping out and they're attacking kids. They need to be prosecuted. But down in Florida, they're essentially saying dress up like a clown and be prepared, because if bad things happen to you, we're not going to be there to help you out. I don't know exactly what that means, and I guess I don't know enough about Volusia County, Florida, to have an opinion. But you you wonder how many people have guns, and if they just declared open season on on clowns. Just saying, be wary, be wary this Halloween, because we're starting to uh, tick all sorts of things off the list of what you could dress as. For all those of you who went as clowns for Halloween, you better rethink your decision, because... Well, there's some people who dress as clowns and behave in really, really weird fashions. So because of that, be careful if you decide to dress as a clown. The war on Halloween continues. It's 1052. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1055. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It has been 50 years since the Bucks were born. Well, wow. tonight, the Greek freak Malcolm Brogan and Chris Middleton lead the Bucks into Boston to tip off the 2017-2018 season. Ted Davis begins our coverage with buck shots at six ten here on WTMJ. A lot of the the commentators and the analysts, now you gotta take this with a grain of salt because many of those same sort of sports writers just did not see the Milwaukee Brewers successful twenty seventeen season at all. They were predicting the Brewers to finish below five hundred and look how well they did. So you take these preseason predictions with a grain of salt, but there's a lot of the commentators who think that the, the Bucks if things go right, and they can avoid injuries, which is always one of the big questions, that they might be able to actually finish in the top four in the Eastern Conference, and, and not just qualify for the playoffs, not just limp into the playoffs, but actually be in a position where they might have home court advantage in the playoffs, which is what, which is what actually it's, it's kind of all about. So that's kind of exciting, and hopefully, hopefully, this will be the year for the Bucks. I as I was preparing the show for today. There was like one topic after another that started with the phrase liberal federal judge, liberal federal judge does this liberal federal judge does that. And it really is kind of frustrating to me that you see, I think, the court system being as politicized as it is. And you you see the court system being hijacked by some of these federal judges with lifetime appointments who are advancing their their own agenda. All right, when President Trump first took office, he initiated this travel ban um, on on people coming from certain countries. And you remember there was all this litigation about it, and and I was actually very critical at the time because I I thought that the travel ban was not well thought out. I thought it was legally flawed in certain material respects. So you had a handful of judges, particularly the federal courts in Hawaii, which are really, really, really far left. I mean, they, they actually, the federal judges in Hawaii actually might make the federal judges in Madison seem like moderates, and that's really tough to do. Um, but they were striking down the, these travel bans. So the, the travel ban had been modified it was very, very clear, I think, that the Supreme Court was going to uphold it. And then what happened is President Trump came out with a new, even narrower travel ban that that put a handful of countries on the list. Now, the objection to the travel ban originally was, this is only Muslim countries. Now, it was only a handful of countries to begin with, and the vast majority of Muslim countries in the world the travel ban didn't apply to. But that's the thing that some of these politically motiva- motivated judges seized on. Oh, this is just part of, you know, Trump's campaign stand in the war on Muslims. Well, this latest travel ban that he came out with is much more narrow, and yes, it has a couple Muslim countries, but the, these ma- Muslim minor, majority Muslim countries, but I use countries kind of in quotation marks because... Uh, I, again, some of these countries really, I, I, I don't know if we're concerned about you know their ability to screen out dangerous people. It, it's really, it's lacking. But this travel ban also now includes some non-Muslim countries. Well, anyhow, yesterday, one of these lefty federal judges, Judge Derek Watson, said, okay, th- th- this is it. I'm, I'm going to strike this thing down uh, again. Now, he's going to be overruled either by the Ninth Circuit or ultimately by the Supreme Court. But again, it's these federal judges who decide that they are going to be the ones that in this particular case are going to put the safety of Americans at risk because they want to advance their particular political agenda. One of the most disappointing things to me is, you know, if you start out as a young lawyer, you you hold some of these federal judges in regard, you think, oh, this is cool. These are federal judges. Well, the problem is, as you get older, you start to realize there's some really good federal judges out there. And then there's others who are, well, just kind of political hacks who are willing to use and bend the law to their own purpose and to suit their agenda. And it's disappointing, but it is unfortunately true. It's 10.59. Speaking of President Trump, we're going to talk about this controversy involving the widow in just a moment. Stick around. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, this is one of these topics where I am curious, I am genuinely curious what you think, because I'm listening to both sides of this story. I have have a sense of what I think happened, but I'm curious as to whose side that you come down on. All right, this is... Over the last couple of days, President Trump has been embroiled in, in sort of yet another one of these these controversies that in part are media driven and are part in part are, are driven by his inability to avoid some of the quicksand by just shooting from the hip, and, and I mean, I've criticized this. I've criticized the, the the tweets at three o'clock in the morning, and I understand that there's some people who say, "No, this is his way of advancing the agenda." I, I actually think it's the opposite. But at a news conference the other day, President Trump kind of gratuit the, the reporter asked him. Why haven't you, you know, reached out to the families of the, those four soldiers who were killed overseas a couple of weeks ago and, and President Trump. Uh, was offended, I think, by that that question, and he, he kind of gratuitously says, "Well, you know, my, my predecessors, um, you know, di- didn't do that. They they didn't call the families, and that elicited like this angry response from you know people who worked in the Obama administration and the Bush administration. A, a response that I, I understand. They said this is flat, isn't? It's it's flat, untrue. You know, when American soldiers lost their lives, you know, we, we did make phone calls, and, and the president doesn't know what he's talking about. And instead of just kind of moving on, the president, as he often does, kind of like a dog with a bone, has to just kind of gnaw on this. So what, what happens is, I, I think that having now been questioned, so what he does is he decides he's going to start calling the families, which is, which is fine. All right, now here's, here's where the controversy is. Um, yesterday, the, the wife of one of the four soldiers who lost his life um, he's Sergeant um, La David T G Johnson, Le David T Johnson, and he's he decides he's the president's going to call the widow. So apparently, when he makes the call, um, the 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 widow is in the car heading to the airport to greet the remains, and and she's in the car with um, Frederica. Wilson, who is a Democrat Congresswoman from Florida, um, and the the widow, her name is Maisha Johnson. So they're on they're on the way. They put the call on speakerphone. So the president is talking to the widow. The Congresswoman is in the car, as well as other people who are in the car as well, aides, etc this is the congresswoman's account of the this um she says during the call the president told the widow ms ms johnson something to the extent that he knew he being her husband knew what he was getting into when he signed up um but it's a tragedy nonetheless so she said that that's that's what what he said and then the Congresswoman goes on to say, but that's not the worst part. She was crying the whole time, and this would be the widow, and when she hung up the phone, she looked at me, and she said, he didn't even remember his name. That's the the hurting part. Um, all right, so she tell, the Congresswoman tells the story. President Trump then takes to Twitter early this morning and says, Nope, that's not true. Democratic Congresswoman totally fabricated what I said to the wife of a soldier who died in action. And I have proof. Sad. Um, the Congresswoman. You know, then goes ahead and responds and said, well, no, this is this is exactly, yes, this is what he said. It's so insensitive. He should not have said that. He should not have said that. And there's other people who were in the car, including a commissioner out of uh, Miami-Dade, a woman named Barbara Jordan, who said, yeah, that's, that's kind of... You know what he said. The congresswoman then goes on CNN and says, this gentleman, she's referring to the president, has a brain disorder and he needs to be checked out. We should be praising his family, not insulting them. Um, all right. 414-799-1620. That is the ACUNET mortgage talk and text line. So far, the, the widow is not speaking. It, it's not the widow Right now, coming out and at least publicly saying, I thought what the president said was in a, was offensive or this is what he said or it hurt my feelings. It, it's just a secondhand story coming from this Democratic congresswoman who clearly has no love lost for the president. The president says this is totally false. I, I didn't I didn't do this. I didn't say this type of stuff. It is being misrepresented. 414 is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At this point in time, that's all we know. Congresswoman who says she's in the car, this is what she heard. The president, on the other hand, saying, nope, this is a complete fabrication. What do you think happened here? Is this another example of, of again, this anti-Trump vendetta that is out there? Or do you think the president, you know, what was he really being insensitive to this widow? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. 1620 what do you think happened? It's 1115. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1118. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Here is what I think happens. I don't think anybody's right in, in this particular situation. And I do. I understand that, that President Trump has been insensitive, tone-deaf, And genuinely rude uh, sometimes I mean with with like the the name calling of opponents and things like that at the same time I think my general sense here is that I think this is an unfair and and cheap shot now he tends to shoot from the hip and and I think he also tends to speak in an unfiltered way that that gets him in in, I think some truck from trouble some trouble at some times and I, I think that you can argue that maybe on the compassion scale, I mean, President Trump um, is, isn't arguably the most compassionate guy. But I mean, I haven't seen him in his private settings. And the way I understand this is, is he's he's calling up the widow of the soldier, and I think he is trying to console her. Now, what what he, what he said to her, from what I understand during this this twenty five this five minute call, is as part of the remarks, she said that that you know your husband knew what he signed up for, but when it happens it hurts anyways. And, and what they're seizing on is he knew what he signed up for. Um I I what I interpret the president is saying, assuming he you know he said that phrase, is he saying, look, you know, anybody who joins the military understands the, the risks that they are facing. Or anybody who's sent in a war zone understands the risks, but but it hurts anyways, you know, when, when this happens. I I I mean, I guess I, I don't necessarily hear that and, and hear that it's – do I think that that's something outrageous to, to say? I, I don't know. Is it the most consoling thing? I don't know. But to me, it, it's sort of like saying, you know, your husband was an incredibly brave man. Anybody who, you know, signs up for the military and puts their lives in, in harm's way, you know, so that we can all, you know, enjoy the freedoms that we have, you know, understands that they're they're – you know, they might – be called upon these, make these sacrifices. So even though everybody knew that this was a risk, it, it hurts really bad. Now I I don't know. Is that would I have said it? No. Um, but But is that something that automatically means that you 're you know insensitive or, or rude and I, the stuff about i he didn 't even remember my name that that i that i don 't know and you 'd really have to hear the you 'd have to hear the call for that, but I guess I mean in all truthfulness, when I was kind of listening to this and hearing this controversy, I, I think people hear what they want to hear. And I have no doubt. I Do I think that the president was trying to go out of his way to offend this this widow of, of the fallen soldier? No, I, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I guess, you know, people can interpret remarks in, in any way they can. Would I have said it exactly this fashion? No, but I wouldn't have said a lot of things the way that the president says. In in the, his defense, though, and I understand I get in trouble whenever I try to defend it. I, I don't. I don't see this as being some effort to be rude or insensitive. He's just kind of saying, hey, look, you know, when, when you get sent overseas, we, you know, anybody that signs up for the military understands what the risk would be. When something like this happens, it, it hurts regardless. I don't know. Is, is, that, is that incredibly insensitive? 414-799-1620. That's the academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with John in Milwaukee. John, you're first. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Uh, you just said exactly what I told you, Screener. I get put in the same box when I talk to my daughter about our two grandsons. One's going to Afghanistan. The other one's going to Korea. And whenever this subject comes up, it's she hears what she wants to hear out of what I'm saying. Right. This is the job they chose. They right. know what they're getting into. Right. You but, you hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst.
0: Yeah, and, and so I mean, right. So it, it's it's a way of expressing this, and you're not trying to be hurtful, and you're not trying to be insensitive. It's just you're saying, okay, we all knew, we 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 all know what this is. There, there's a possibility that this could happen. It doesn't make the blow any easier. I mean, and, and I guess. I I don't know, in a five-minute conversation, is that something that somebody should automatically be offended about? I I don't necessarily think so. I don't think he was trying to be rude or hurtful.
1: Neither do I. I I think he's a realist, and and I don't think people are ready to hear that kind of stuff, but it is reality. I'm ex-Marine, and I know my mother and father went through the same thing.
0: Right. Yeah, I, thanks, thanks. I mean, and again, I, I wrestle with that. And, and I understand that there, there are times that President Trump is, is intentionally insensitive and we do the punching down. I, I guess I, I heard this and, I, you know, and, and I will tell you, it bothers me that the first thing this congresswoman decides to do is that she's going to run on run off to MSNBC and she's going to, you know, rip on the president of the United States. Now, if the fallen soldier's widow was offended or outraged or whatever, or thought this was really inappropriate. Okay, w- may- maybe she's the one that if she feels the need to go public with this, well, okay, you know, then she can recount this. But this is kind of this third party who was there, who has decided that she's going to use this as a way to, uh, again, uh, attack the president. Let's see, we've got a number of texts here. The leader of the free world took a moment to comfort and acknowledge a grieving widow, and that wasn't enough. We all know, you know what he he signed up for. Okay, Jeff, stop making excuses for the moron in chief. Well, I'm not making excuses, I'm just saying and I'm the guy that criticizes the president when I think it's appropriate. And I defend the president from criticism when I think it's a cheap shot. I'm not convinced at all that this is one where I think it's appropriate. Let's see another text. I believe he could have possibly said that. But at the same time, she could have waited to complain. Who is insensitive now? Um, She should have stopped way before calling him names. Right. Again, keep in mind, this isn't the widow who's going public with this. This is the congresswoman from Florida who decides that... um, She's the one that's going to be offended by this. Uh, Lori in Spring Grove says it's not proper time to be saying that statement. She is literally on her way to the airport to get her her husband. Um, All right, another text. If a person is already anti-Trump, they will take anything they are saying, even in good intentions, as negative. I know he could have worded what he said differently. I didn't vote for Trump, but I think this is being blown out of proportion. Uh, let's talk to Stephen in Cedar Grove. Stephen, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ.
2: Hey, Jeff. How you doing?
0: Real well, thank you.
2: Uh, no, the president, he has a tendency to say things in a way that uh, isn't exactly the best way to put things, but I truly really don't think he meant to offend the woman in this case. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, but i don't necessarily think the pr- president is going to benefit by getting in a mud fight over this yeah that's uh, yeah that know, yeah oh sorry yeah. i was just going to say you know in this case in, in the, if he probably would be better off just saying Let hey, it i go. certainly didn't mean to offend if i if i did i truly apologize and i want to thank this woman for her husband's sacrifice
0: yes i you know i you're you're so right stephen and this is This is one of the things that I've been saying repeatedly about the Trump administration, including the people who are Trump advisors, that I I think in many respects, the inability to let stuff go just just gets him in trouble. And and instead of just saying, all right, fine, I let's just move on. You now take this and you make it a two or three day story again over kind of a he said, she said sort of thing. And it just kind of plays it up, and the anti-Trump people are going to hear what they want to hear, and the pro-Trump people are going to hear what they want to hear, and all it's going to be is, uh, again, a couple days of going back and forth and people duking out with each other that doesn't really sur- – we're not going to get anywhere.
2: And it's not like the, they can re- actually release the audio, because that would, be, that would also be kind of insensitive to release the call right. between –
0: Right, 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 exactly because yeah I mean, I assume that they have a tape of this somewhere, and it is a a five minute conversation about this and and you assume that they're talking about private things and and mm-hmm. i I mean I, I kind of hear this, and my sense is sort of that the congresswoman took this kind of out of context. that is what my sense of, of this is I and would it,
2: agree and that's uh, and that's kind of you know I, you know I, I don't necessarily buy her story because she's certainly not unbiased in this case either. So.
0: right yeah no exactly no, no, thanks for the call i mean again it's and again this is it is going to end up being a a distraction uh i don't know what the truth is and i guess i don't know that we're ever going to know the truth i don't know i mean i do know why the congresswoman felt compelled to run to msnbc is because she wanted to rip president trump i understand that president trump felt the need to respond because he feels the need to respond to everything um i, I think in some cases what you see here is the decision to go public with this has has taken this fo- widow and has, has sort of used her in some respects as a prop a prop for the anti-Trump uh, agenda. I mean, if she wants to denounce the president, then she denounces the president. The congresswoman doing it, you know, as a kind of a surrogate. I, I think I honestly I'm as offended by that as I am about anything that the president might have said. It's eleven twenty-eight. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. It's eleven thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. Um, I, I we have talked on this program repeatedly about how driving around this area is like it's like the Wild West. Um, red lights are considered to be suggestions. Speed limits are considered to be suggestions. And you take your life into your own hands as you go out and about on, on the street. Now, finally, finally, finally. Law enforcement is starting to catch up with that. You now have the acting sheriff who does the saturation patrols, pulling people over for reckless driving on on the freeway and speeding. You have Ed Flynn, Who has finally recognized that this is a huge problem? And after being confronted by angry citizens and members of the Common Council and people of the Fire and Police Commission, he's now announced that he is, you know, concentrating on certain high crime and problem areas and he is enforcing speed limits, which is, you know, and and going after that. And I mean, I see that. I, I drive sometimes, you know, west of our studio here on Capitol Drive, and Capitol Drive is a particularly um, dangerous area to drive and the last few days, I mean, I've seen motorcycle cops out in force pulling people over to which I say, great, you know, you run red lights or you speed, okay, sorry, you know, you're not going to get any sympathy, you know, from me so, but that's a start and, and it's a good start, but there is, there's a limit on you know, how many police we can have out um, at the same time there are people who routinely uh, again violate the laws and get away with it because there, there aren't cops around in many communities across this country. They use things called red light cameras. So in other words, at various intersections what happens is there is a camera and if you blow through the red light, the camera act the camera is activated. It takes a picture of your license plate in many cases you can actually see the driver behind the wheel and then what happens is you end up getting a ticket now I understand that in Milwaukee in particular there's lots of people who treat tickets like other people treat toilet paper. They just roll them up, they throw them away, and then you know, then they complain when their licenses get suspended, and then you have the municipal courts that try to come up with all sorts of deals to keep people's license in place, and then they don't pay anyhow. So I understand that it's not a perfect solution, sending out tickets and doling out points, and I understand that if you've got the 15-year-old who's stolen seven cars and has been turned loose the last six times by the joke of a juvenile justice system, um, having a red light camera is not going to stop them from blowing through the red light. So I understand this is not a perfect solution. But as I have said before, there is an intersection that I probably go through two or three times a week on my way to work. And it's where I'm coming from a less busy street, crossing a busy street, and I have learned. That when I am getting ready to cross that busier street, um, the light turns green. I can't go. I have to really sit there and count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and look both ways. Because I can guarantee you dollars to donuts that at least let's say i go through this intersection 3 times a week at least one of those 3 times there is going to be somebody who has seen the yellow light has sped up and blows through the red light and if i had gone if i had if i had hit the gas and started to go into the intersection when the light turned green i guarantee you that car would have slammed into the side of my car i guarantee you that so what they're talking about doing, and and yesterday there was a, a press conference held on the courts on the courthouse steps, um, where a, a state representative, a guy named David Crowley, who's a liberal Democrat from Milwaukee, um, said, "Here, he wants the legislature, and right now state law says you can't, municipalities can't use red light cameras. He wants to modify state law to allow the city of Milwaukee to put up." red light cameras to enforce traffic signals, speed limits, and to ticket drivers. The proposal calls for a five-year pilot program in Milwaukee to help guarantee stricter enforcement of travel, of uh, traffic laws. All right, and it is has overwhelming number of co-sponsors. A lot of Milwaukee aldermen are in favor of it. 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line, I don't think this is a perfect solution. I I get that. But you know what? I think this is a good start. Now, you don't need the red light traffic cameras on every intersection, and I think that would probably be cost prohibitive. But you know what? Just like I think the police chief is on the right track. I don't always say that. Grew, who's producing the show, Mark the Tape. Just like I think he's on the right track by cracking down on traffic violators, I think red light cameras are a good idea. Will it stop everybody from blowing through red lights? No. But you know what? The the people who have driver's licenses, who care about the driver's licenses, who are tempted to run through that yellow light because they want to get to the freeway quicker so they can get to work a minute or two earlier, I think it might discourage some of them. And for the people that bl- do blow through the red lights, let's even forget the deterrent thing, I have no problem with them getting a $300 ticket or whatever the ticket's going to be and a couple points off their insurance on their insur- on their record so their insurance goes up. Because you know what? Maybe that might make them think twice before they blow through a red light. And I guess the bottom line is doing nothing seems like just an inadequate response. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1142. This is Jeff Wagner. 1144, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I have a text here. All this is is a way of generating traffic revenue. We're talking about red light cameras. Well, okay, I look, I, I concede it will generate traffic revenue. But you know what? Who cares? I, I'm sorry. I You don't have a right to run red lights. If you get nailed running a red light Uh, and you get a ticket, I don't care. I I mean, it's the same thing I think about with, like, the speeding enforcement on the freeways that the sheriff's department's going to do or the police cracking down on reckless driving in the streets. Okay, they're pulling people over. If you get tickets and that generates revenue, uh, that's, that's okay with me. Maybe it'll make people think twice or three or four times before they decide to blow through a, a red light and put all the rest of us in danger. Let's start with Wendy in Wawatosa. Wendy, you're first. Good after, Good morning. I'm sorry.
2: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Wendy. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I'm very in support of this as a deterrent. I have been seeing that people are beating up at yellow lights and going through red lights for years. The last couple of years and it's all over the city. It's not just in bad parts of the city. It's in Wabatosa, it's in Ellen Grove, huh. it's in Brookfield. I, I go through Highway One Hundred Watertown playing twice a day and I see it every time I'm there.
0: Yeah. Yeah and, and I have
2: it, friends who I've talked to about it and they, they say they're afraid to stop slow down at a yellow light now for fear of getting rear-ended.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the flip side of it. Yeah, this intersection that I'm talking about, Wendy, that, I mean, it, it's it's not in a bad part of town. It's, it's kind of by the freeway, and I know what happens. You're, you're hitting it in the morning. People are in a hurry. You know, they want to get through the light because they want to get on the freeway to get to work. Fine. So they decide to blow through the lights. I mean, you're right. It's, It's not all 16 year old kids driving stolen cars. It's a lot of people who are just in a hurry who don't care about it. And if they get a ticket and they get a nasty fine, I don't care if it generates revenue. Maybe it'll make them think twice so they don't hit you or me when we're crossing with the light.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. No. Thank, I totally no agree.
0: No. Th- thanks for calling again. I, I look. I whenever I talk about this, I, I always get the emails or the statements saying, "Well, Jeff, this isn't going to be perfect because you have people that are driving the stolen cars, or you have people that aren't going to pay the tickets." And, and yeah, I I understand it's not perfect. I, I I get that. But but this is one that that not everybody who's doing this is driving a stolen car or you know isn't going to you know pay the tickets. There are all sorts of people who I think have just gotten in the habit of, of doing this for whom points on their license, insurance costs going up, um, and, and having to pay the fine because they, they, they are going to pay the fine because they don't want to deal with the registration issues or whatever. I think it might discourage some people. Is it perfect? No. Lewis in Milwaukee. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning.
1: Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Um, I drive semi down to Chicago, and there's a particular uh, street street. That has two of these set up on a uh, road that has a lot of traffic, and they're set up by uh, two high schools, and it really helps everyone to slow down. Those that don't want to follow the law kind of get forced into it because it's very heavy traffic, and we're all doing the speed limit. So I I think it works great in that particular circumstance.
0: Yeah, and and, yeah, I mean it's right that that's you know that's the idea, and I I think. You know, there is a cost to putting these things up. So I don't think anybody's talking about, you know, doing it, you know, in every intersection. And and what I like about what they're talking about doing in Milwaukee is they're saying, okay, let's do this as a pilot project. let's, Let's give us five years. Let's put them up and let's see how this all works. Because, you know, truthfully, okay, maybe there will be problems with this. Maybe it won't be worth the effort. But we don't really know until we try that. So yeah, uh, agreed. Yeah, yeah, right. Thanks for calling. Again, I just really, I don't see, I, I don't see the downside, you know, to this. Um, I, I think you know one of the things, I guess, one of the arguments has always been, well, you know how how do you know who's driving the car, et cetera? Well, okay, um, I'm not too terribly sympathetic to that. If you know, you know who's driving your car, and you know, if if somebody. If, for example, your kid is driving your car and blows through the red light. Now, a lot of times, these cameras actually capture who's who's behind the, the wheel. But, okay, so I, I mean, I don't care. If, you know, somebody gives their kid their car and the kid drives through the, the red light, well, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with mom, the, the registered dro- owner, you know, getting the, the ticket and then it becomes, you know, your problem to talk to your kid and ask him why he ran through a red light. 414-799-1620. Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Oh.
1: Freddie? Freddie, yes, sir. Welcome. I I think, now, see, the, the city has to go one step further with this, Jeff. When the police pull them over for either speeding, reckless driving, or going to a red light, that gives them the reason to check to see if they have a valid driver's license and if they have insurance. And if they don't have either of those, the car is confiscated right on the spot. And this way here, they're going to think twice because most of these people doing this goofy driving, they either have, uh, they don't have a valid driver's license, and they don't have insurance to begin with. So well, here we get rid of three problems all at one time.
0: Well, uh, let me let me you you raise two points which I I think are separate. First of all, I guess I don't agree. That, that most of the people who are blowing through red lights are necessarily people who, who don't have insurance or, you know, who don't have driver's license. I, I don't think that's the case. Like I say in – and, again, I'm just thinking about this particular intersection that I watch where this happens all the time. My guess is it's a lot of people who I think live in Shorewood and Whitefish Bay who are in a hurry in the morning – or in the afternoon, either in a hurry to get to work to get onto the freeway, or to get home from work on the, you know, as they're getting off the freeway, and they just push it, and and you know, maybe some of those cars are stolen, but I don't think so. I think that, uh, you know, I don't know what percentage of this would be, but I think a good percentage of people are just like ah, I don't care. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go through this. So I, 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 I don't accept the notion that you know by doing this you're only gonna catch the the miscreants now. As to your second point, you, you are preaching to the choir when it comes to taking away cars. I have believed for the longest time, and whenever I say this, you've got some of the liberal talking heads that just absolutely explode. But I have believed for the longest time that, you know, if you catch people that are driving in vehicles without insurance and without driver's licenses – The thing you do is you seize the car and and you put the burden. If if somebody wants to come in and say, hey, hey, look, um, that I that that wasn't my car, Um, you know, that that, the car that you seized, that was my brother in law that, that my brother in law was driving it, you know, give me my car back. My response would then be "Okay, The burden is on you to prove, you know, how did your brother in law get the car? Did he steal the car? Um, did you not know, why did you give your brother-in-law the car? Did you not know that he had a driver's license? I would, if it was suspended or whatever, I would put the burden on the owner to prove that they were a completely and totally innocent owner because, candidly, you know, if it's your car and you're driving without insurance or you're driving without a license, I agree. I think that car should be seized. I think that car should be forfeited. Take the cars away, and I guarantee you The number of people driving without insurance and without licenses or on revoked or suspended licenses, if you start taking the cars, I guarantee you the number of people doing that will decrease dramatically. I guarantee you. Now, then, of course, you've got all the the talking heads. The people are going to be exploiting. Oh, but you're discriminating. That's going to be terrible. How are these poor people going to get to work if they can't drive? Well... Okay, maybe they should have thought of that before they lost their driver's licenses. At some point in time, we've got to take back the streets and we've got to say we want if you're going to get behind the wheel of the car, which is a privilege. You know, we are not going to allow you to flaunt the laws. Um, And and so, yeah, there's going to be consequences. Drive when you're not supposed to Um, drive after your license has been revoked. You'll lose your license. Now, that's a little bit one step farther, a bridge farther than the red light cameras. But it's time to get serious. I'm sick of people dying on the roads around here. I'm sick of people being injured because people drive in a reckless fashion. It's time for us to wake up, and it's time for the legislature to help us out. And I think red light cameras are a decent start to it. But I'm with you, Freddie. I'd go that next step of seizing cars of people who are driving when they shouldn't drive. It is 1154. When we come back, Scafidi and Bill in We'll find out what they have on their minds.